Quick warning, the subject matter of some of these stories could be considered sensitive to some viewers, and as always, viewer discretion is advised, but please do enjoy. I'm a paramedic, and have been for what feels like forever, though it's only been about four or five years. I just want to say that being a paramedic will absolutely tear you apart mentally, and will age you faster than almost any other career path. Is it fulfilling? Absolutely. I love helping people, but there are also points in time where you're expected to help, and there's literally nothing you can do in the situation. Those are the ones that get to you the worst. In my time riding in the back of an ambulance, I've seen some really messed up stuff. I've seen a lot of death, a lot of blood, and genuinely a lot of chaos and pain. And as much as I hate it, it really does make it worth it when you're able to save even just one person from a terrible situation. The story here is one of the stories that absolutely had a lasting impression on me, and is more of a sad story than a scary one, but it fits into the paramedic horror stories theme, just in a different form of horror. So this story happened in my second year of being a paramedic, which would have been around 2016, maybe early 2017. I was already in the middle of my shift, so... I was already in the swing of things, and it was a slow night, which is a good thing when you do my line of work. We were on standby, just kind of waiting for a call when we finally get one over the radio. Dispatch pings us and tells us there's a high-priority call with very little information a couple of miles down the way from where we are. They tell us that the caller sounds like they're young, and they informed the emergency line that their mom was on the floor and not responding to them. This isn't the kind of call that you really want to get, but it does happen. Sometimes, parents work themselves into such a heavy fatigue that they legitimately pass out. There are also a hundred other conditions that can lead to unconsciousness. Blood pressure issues, diabetes, anemia, etc. So... While this kind of call starts off with a worst-case scenario in mind, you have to keep your hopes up and keep all possibilities in mind. Within a couple of minutes, we're on the road with the lights and sirens going. We're driving as fast as we safely can and trying to get past the cars that seem to not want to move for us. Which, if I may drop an aside here... If you see an ambulance on the road with their lights and sirens going, get the hell out of the way. You not moving could literally be what could cause someone's death, so stop with whatever is in your head and makes you think that you don't have to move over, and just move. I know most people are good about this, but it pisses me off when I see people that seriously think they are more important than a damn ambulance. Anyways, we were on the road for this critical call and getting there as quick as we possibly could. The GPS gets us to the house. It's a one-floor ranch-style house in a decent neighborhood. There isn't a car in the driveway and the front door is closed. 
We park out front. I grab the defibrillator kit just in case, and we make a quick jog towards the front door and start knocking. After a few seconds, a little girl that couldn't have been older than five or six answers the door. Her face is bright red, and she's very obviously been bawling her eyes out. As soon as I saw her, I got hit with a super deep palpitation. Thankfully, my partner was a veteran, and he'd been doing this way longer than I had, so he had a better head on his shoulders when it came to these situations. He leaned down to her and said, Hi there. We're here because someone called saying that their mom wasn't feeling well. Was that you? This little girl just nods her head and says her mother was in the kitchen. She opened the door further to let us in, and then led us through the living room and into the kitchen area. As soon as we saw the mother, I knew this was going to be a worst-case scenario. The stove was on with whatever it was that she was making for dinner, and it was starting to smoke, and she was face down on the floor with her eyes rolled back. And my partner told me to take the little girl into the living room and that he would call for backup so that we could secure the scene and get the situation figured out. Basically, since it was just the two of us, I had to keep the child occupied while he attempted to resuscitate, if he could, though I think we both knew that wasn't going to happen. At this point, I'm in the living room and trying to keep this little girl that is in this state of panic because she has no idea what's going on from completely losing it. First thing she asks me is if her mom is going to be alright. And, to be honest, I just kind of sat there for a moment before telling her that we were going to do everything that we could to help her. It absolutely killed me to lie to her like that. I tried to pull the subject away from the situation a little bit. I asked her for her name. She told me her name was Chloe, and that she was about to be six years old next week. I tried to ask if she could remember what happened. She told me her mom was making dinner and then said she didn't feel good, and then all of a sudden she was lying down on the kitchen floor. When she tried to wake her up, she wouldn't respond, so she did what she knew to do and called 911 on the phone. I told her that she did the right thing and that what she did was very brave. Then I asked her where her dad was. She told me that he was at work because he worked nights. This left me with a horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach. Just thinking that this man had went to work, he left his daughter and wife at home and that he had no idea what was happening at his house at that moment. When the secondary paramedics unit showed up, and the police unit showed up as well to the house, I took Chloe outside to one of the officers, and they asked the neighbors for any contact information for the father. At this point, the officers took over the scene, and they took care of Chloe as they tried to get a hold of her father. I told her that she did a great job, and I pretty much had to let it go at that point. I went with my partner in the secondaries with her mother to the hospital, but she was pronounced DOA. In the end, this situation was nothing shy of heartbreaking. 
The father was notified, and he showed up with a look of absolute disbelief on his face, and, uh, I don't blame him. Like I said, he went to work like any other day, and he was then called back home and told that his wife was dead, that he was now a single parent. I later found out that she was, as expected, gone when we got there. She had apparently had a major stroke while she was making dinner, and then suddenly collapsed. Her daughter called 911 immediately like she should have, but there was literally nothing that we could have done. This is one of those stories that made me second-guess my career path. I kept with it in the end, and I hope that I never have anything like this happen again, so long as I'm doing this, but I'm sure it will eventually. To all the listeners out there, make sure your loved ones know that you love them, make sure they know that you care, and cherish each and every moment you get with them. Never take any of it for granted. So, these two stories aren't mine directly. They're actually stories I've been told by my dad from his 20-some-odd years serving as a police officer in southern Michigan. Working for the force that long will absolutely net you a number of stories, but I recalled two of them specifically that bothered him, and strangely, both of them were on the roads. Actually, thinking back, a lot of the stories that he had to tell were about drivers or car accidents. It makes sense, though. A lot of terrible things happen while people are driving around, and far too many people out there drive with zero regard for the safety of others. Anyways, this first story is a testament to the fact that you should always wear your seatbelt, regardless of how uncomfortable it may make you feel. On top of that, you should always take further precautions when it's snowy or cold. My father was on his shift and was patrolling when he got a call of a rollover accident in the area that he was near, and the callout informed that there were potential injuries. Seeing as how he's not a medic, his job on the call was basically to get to the scene, secure it, attempt any basic assistance to anyone injured, etc. He hit his lights and he guns it out to where the crash was reported and he saw it at the corner of a main road and a side road. He parks his car to block traffic in that section, and he runs over to the flipped car. From what he's always told me, this was a small sedan, something like a Dodge Neon, and it was still upside down. Even worse, the driver that was in the car was completely out of it. At this point... He's trying to see if the driver is even still alive, checking for a pulse, checking for breathing, when the man suddenly wakes up. My dad is trying to ask him if he can hear him, just trying to get a response out of him, and when he finally responds, my dad said that the words were completely incoherent. That's when my dad realized the smell. And this guy was three sheets to the wind, completely trashed and barely conscious. 
My dad's just trying to get this guy to a point where he can help him out of the car, when out of nowhere he hears the sound of a kid screaming. As soon as this starts, the driver freaks out and starts yelling about his son. My dad looks in the back of the car, and there's no one else there, which then led to the assumption that the kid had been actually thrown from the vehicle. My dad gets up and goes to look for the son, and he finds him in a decent-sized snowbank. He's barely moving, but he's screaming his lungs out and crying in pain. My dad runs over and kneels down by him. Obviously, this kid is scared and hurt, but he keeps trying to get up. My dad keeps telling him that he'll be okay and that he needs to not move, just in case he had a head or a neck injury. From what he said, the kid didn't look like he was in good condition, but the fact that he was conscious enough to cry and yell, and also tell him where he was hurting, was a good thing. Obviously, this situation overall was not good, and the end result was pretty terrible. The father was fine, he wasn't hurt at all. The son ended up with a broken leg and a concussion, but he did make a full recovery. That was the good part of it. The bad part was that the father, as stated, was completely trashed at around 4 in the afternoon and was driving with his son in the front seat without a seatbelt, and the roads were not in good condition, hence the snowbank mentioned. My dad never figured out how this guy ended up flipping his car, but when he did, his son had apparently gone out the window, and thankfully, the car did not roll on top of him. This was a pretty awful situation that ended with a decent ending, the father was obviously charged, and the kid was removed from his custody, but it could have gone much, much worse. The second story does not have a happy ending, and if you're sensitive to grim or gruesome stories, I don't recommend reading it. I'll keep the details low, that way it doesn't become too much for those of you that read it, this story actually happened closer to the beginning of him working for the Force, and it's one that has absolutely haunted him. Based on what he's said, he was patrolling like any other day, when he actually saw what was a suicide on a nearby bridge down into the highway traffic. He said that he actually saw the whole thing from where he was stopped, and again, I won't get into the graphic details, but he said that there was a young woman on the bridge, and he knew what she was thinking about doing. He said that as soon as he grabbed his radio to call it in, he saw her jump down onto the road, and then saw a semi try to swerve out of the way. Obviously, this doesn't work with a large truck like that, and he couldn't move quick enough, but her act actually took more than just her own life. When the truck tried to swerve, he actually ended up hitting another car that was beside him. My dad said that the damage to that second car was an immediate indication that there was zero chance the driver could have made it out of the accident alive. So, while it was tragic that the first person decided to end their own life, and yes, 
I wholeheartedly think that's a terrible thing to happen. Her method ended up taking the life of someone else that had nothing to do with her or her decision. In the end, my dad said that the truck driver was traumatized. He had attempted to not hit the girl, but ended up taking someone else's life too, completely by accident. This whole thing was a wrong place, wrong time situation, and there's no way to not feel horrible for that guy. I can't imagine the years of therapy he had to go through to get past this in his mind, and I really do hope that he was able to move forward with his own life. This story happened what feels like a really long time ago. I was still new into my job as a paramedic, and had yet to be beaten down by the stresses that come with the job. Honestly, it is a good job, but it will wear you down. Working for 12-hour shifts at some point, running around, constant blasts of adrenaline because of new calls, it will age you so much quicker than any other job. I cannot tell you how many days off I slept through, because I was completely and totally exhausted from my shifts. Honestly, it's enough to destroy your personal relationships, which is where we can segue into the context of the story. Back when I was a rookie paramedic, I was dating a rookie police officer named Laura. Laura was an incredibly energetic, spry, and fun-loving girl that I genuinely loved and she was probably one of the nicest people that I've met in all my years on this earth. Laura actually joined the force because of her father, Paul. He was a sergeant in that same department, and he'd been on the force for quite a while. I don't remember how long, but he was pretty well-known and well-respected throughout our small town. I actually knew Paul from when I was a medic prior to dating Laura. So when I met her and we started dating, it was actually quite a surprise for me when I found out they were related. Regardless, he knew I had a good head on my shoulders and a steady job, so he was okay with us being together. Anyways, now that you know who I am and who they are, it's probably best to get to the actual story-slash-situation. Like most paramedic horror stories, this isn't one that's scary per se, but it's terrifying in its own right. On the night of this situation, I'd been working a full 12 shift and I was tired. I was actually scheduled to be off the next day, so I was ready for it to come to an end. The night had actually been fairly busy, considering it was the middle of the week, I think I had already been on two calls in that evening alone, and the other pair had already been sent out twice. And while the calls we had taken weren't that big of a deal, it was a lot more than I was used to having to deal with. Because of this, I was hopeful that we would just have a silent remainder of the evening, and I would be able to do nothing for the last hour of my shift. I know this sounds lazy, but trust me, when you're running around for five or so hours taking care of various things around town, 
It's enough to make you want to fall asleep while driving. Of course, that's not how things work in reality. And with around 45 minutes left of an exhausting shift, we get a high-priority call. I'm sitting there and listening to the dispatch inform us of the situation as we're getting everything together to get out as quickly as possible. The whole thing was a pretty horrible mess, apparently. We were informed that we were responding to a shots-fired potential injury at a domestic call. The initial call that the officer had taken was one where a woman had called the police on her husband because he had gotten drunk and was starting to hit her. The location was actually a frequent call, one that the officers had gone to a number of times, and the situation typically ended with, husband goes to jail for a couple of days, gets out with a court date, but the wife would not leave him. Now, I know that the cycle of abuse is very real, and these kinds of relationships are very hard to get out of, but it's really painful to see these things recur like this. Unfortunately, and obviously, this time things had gone south. There were shots fired with injury, and obviously we were headed in that direction as fast as we humanly could. It wasn't close, but we were still making pretty good time overall. It wasn't until we were about halfway there that the call changed from a shots-fired potential injury to a shots-fired officer down. This kind of escalation, it turns the entire situation from a big deal to a huge deal. We now had an officer that was in need of immediate medical attention and, most likely, other injuries. We pulled up to the scene and we jumped out and... When we saw a second team of officers had already secured the scene and were trying to help out the downed officer. While I anticipated this to be a terrible situation, I could feel my heart stopping when I saw Paul on the ground in a pool of his own blood. I ran over to him, and I started to do everything I could to stop the bleeding, but I knew immediately there was nothing that could be done. He'd been shot in the left side of his neck and he was already starting to fade at that point. I remember grabbing his hand and kneeling down and telling the officer to hold the pressure. The look in his eyes when he saw me is something that's going to stick with me until the day that I die. It was almost like a glimmer of hope. He knew me, and he trusted me, so I think part of him had become a little more relaxed when he saw me approaching. Either... He started to think he was going to be okay, or he knew he was a goner and, at that point, didn't feel alone anymore. Like I said, I tried to keep him there, and we tried to get him into the ambulance while maintaining, but he passed away while we were headed to the hospital. Apparently, the call had gone bad within the first few minutes of Paul showing up. The husband was, as the wife had said, drunk and pissed off at the world. When Paul showed up, he expected the whole thing to go as it had gone in the past. The husband would fight for a bit, but would eventually end up in cuffs, and then in a cell for a day or two. What he didn't expect was that the husband was going to be completely off it, and then shoot his wife dead while Paul was knocking on the door. 
From what I was told, this guy murdered his wife, and then, when he saw Paul, shot him from the window, and then turned the gun on himself. Talking to Laura was nearly impossible after this whole thing had happened, because there was nothing I could do to save him, and I just had to watch her father die. I tried to talk to her about it. I tried to tell her he wasn't in pain, and I tried to tell her that he was at peace when it happened, but it didn't really do much. I don't blame her for not wanting to hear all that standard BS. Laura and I split up pretty soon after. We kind of just grew distant. And I think that she didn't want to be around me anymore after this whole thing happened. Again, I don't blame her. She also quit the force within that month. I actually have no idea what happened to her after this, and I'm sure it took her a lot of time to get to a good place mentally. I just personally hope that if Laura is still out there, she's living her life to the best of her abilities, and she was able to keep going strong. If not for herself, then at least for Paul. My uncle was an officer on a narcotics team that was tasked, basically, with finding who was selling the hard drugs in his town and then building a case against them so that they could set up stings and take them down. He was pretty good at it, and he had taken some decent-sized dealers off the streets. A lot of his cases were based on anonymous tips, with people naming people doing deals in X, Y, or Z areas. They would then tail the person, and once they were satisfied that they had something they could get, they would typically set up a sting, record a sale, and then go for the bust pretty much immediately after. Most of the time, this went perfectly. They would get the sale on the video, and would have the probable cause to arrest the dealer immediately after. And more often than not, it would be a quick and easy arrest, and a straightforward case. This case was actually one of my uncle's last, for reasons that will be obvious later, and this one was pretty serious for his unit, and for his station. He was actually assigned to tail a fellow officer that was accused of dealing, and he had to take the case very delicately, as he needed to prove that this guy was guilty, and not let him know that he was being investigated. My uncle said that they followed him for a good while, and while it was certainly a struggle, they did get a hold of evidence that he was potentially dealing. The problem was, since this guy was a cop, he wasn't willing to deal with just anyone. From what they had gathered, he had specific people that he would work with, and they didn't really have the ability to get a deal on tape or anything like that. My uncle told me that they tailed him for a long time, and they finally decided that they would just arrest him. He determined that he would do so in a secluded area, and he would do anything he could to not make a scene. Of course, being an officer, there's this whole honor thing, and he decided that he would offer the guy a chance to come clean and go in willingly. 
My uncle said that he followed the guy until, at one point, he went into one of the locker room areas. He decided that this would be the point where he would confront him. He mentioned that he went in, and he started the conversation casually, until the room was cleared out. Then he basically confronted the guy and said, Look, we have a case against you. We have all the evidence we need, and it would be best that you just turn yourself in without causing a scene. Basically, like I said, just giving this guy the chance to go in willingly. He says that, at the beginning, this guy acted like he was going to go with my uncle, but the second his guard was down, he pulled a knife and jammed it into my uncle's shoulder. My uncle fell from the scuffle and, you know, being stabbed, but this guy couldn't have chosen a worse course of action at a worse point in time. As soon as he stabbed my uncle, another officer entered the locker room and saw what happened. My uncle said he doesn't remember much of what went on, but apparently the guy ended up with a round in him and the entire station went into a frenzy. They both pulled through. My uncle lost a majority of the use of his right arm, and the other officer went in for, I believe, attempted murder charges, seeing as how he attacked my uncle with an obvious intent to do harm. In the end, they found out that this guy was actually pulling items from the evidence locker for his sales. He was using what had been confiscated for his own profit. While this may not have been the most terrifying story, it's one that my uncle and family will never forget, because this guy could have absolutely murdered him then and there. It's just likely that he panicked and went for a stab instead of anything that actually would have done my uncle in. My uncle admits that he went about this really stupid, that he should have went in with someone else, and he should have just said screw the honor system and taken him out in the lobby. Either way, this guy went to prison, and he won't be out for a very long time. And my uncle now does desk work for the station, so it's rather unlikely that he'll ever end up getting stabbed again. So that was a collection of four stories in the line of duty. I don't know if I ever want to do this collection again, to be honest with you, because all these stories are incredibly sad, um, at least to me. I'm sure they are to others as well. Um, these are really tough to uh, to narrate and read, to be honest with you. But if you guys want more, I will try to get more. Um, maybe try to get some that aren't that don't end in such a sad way, I guess. Um, but honestly, these, yeah. I know these aren't your typical scary stories, but line of duty horror isn't necessarily about being scary. It's about the stuff that happens to the officers and to the paramedics and the firemen, which there were no firemen stories this time. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed this as much as you could uh, without getting too sad on it. Um, if you did, please do consider hitting that subscribe button, the bell icon next to it. You can also hit the like button if you enjoyed it. Support the channel, Patreon, uh, memberships, etc. All patrons and members get early access to my content, and yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying not to be too downtrodden, but honestly, after reading these stories, I'm kind of like, oh, sad times.
but it's all good. All right, friends. I hope you have a beautiful day, and I hope I will see you on the next episode. Um, stay safe out there. Hug your loved ones a little tighter today, if you can. And yeah, like I said, see you next time. But until then, sleep well.